0: Just give me some few seconds to be able to come up and to also appreciate those of you who have been able to make it at this moment. It's uh, it's always an unfortunate thing that those who are called to be pastors often and again they will always uh, come late to meetings. Maybe that's also because of the concept we have that the church has to be in order so that somebody can carry our portfolio. That we're coming out from the office or something like that, you know. It has become a kind of culture and it affects us wherever we go, whatever thing we do. And uh, it's also unfortunate because, sorry to say, it is because most people have not really been able To go beyond certain boundaries to see what is going on in other communities and so there is a the kind of initiative that they have that is limited to the environment that they find themselves and it's quite unfortunate Uh, if you really have to be out you find that nobody has time to wait for anybody. Once it is time, it is time. Praise the Lord. So I just thank you, but I pray that you adjust your, your system, adjust your way of doing things. That is part of what repentance is all about. Repentance is not meant for just the sinner. It's meant for everyone. Anytime you're making a change in life, you're repenting. Anytime you're adjusting your way of doing things, you're repenting. That's what repentance really means. Praise the Lord. Okay, so we're going to continue this morning with the concept of the city church. We started with last two months uh, and, and today I want to build on what we did last month and I'm going to be calling this uh, the city church as a temple of God. We really want to define what is the city church. As we look into the scriptures we should be able to know what the city church is. But let's uh, start reading from Revelation 1 Which we read last week as well I mean last two months Revelation 1 uh, Verse number 10 Verse 11 And then we go to verse 16 Down to 20 Okay verse 16 down to 20 Okay Uh, Revelation 1 verse 10 I was in the spirit On the last day and had behind me a great voice as of a trumpet. Jesus is talking, I mean, uh, John is talking, saying, I am Alpha and Omega, the first and the last. And what does he write in a book and send it unto the seven churches which are in Asia, unto Ephesus, unto Smyrna, unto Pegamos, unto Thyatira. And unto Cyrus, and unto Philadelphia, and unto Laodicea. And he had in his right hand seven stairs. Verse 16. And out of his mouth went a sharp two-edged sword. And his countenance was as the sun shineth in his strength. And then he moved down. You know, you can look at that from Matthew. Seventeen from verse one, the transfiguration. You Just can put them there. Then go to verse twenty. The mystery of the seven stars, with thou sawest in my right hand, and in the seven go and, and the seven golden candlesticks. He now said, the seven stars are the angels of the seven churches, and the seven candlesticks. Quithas sawest are the seven churches. Hallelujah. Now, from the Living Bible, it is very simple. This is the meaning of the seven stars you saw in my right hand. And the seven golden candlesticks. The seven churches are the leaders of the seven churches. I mean, the seven stars are the leaders of the seven churches. And the seven candlesticks are the churches themselves. Hallelujah. Richard, let me have the first one. And then uh, I just say something there. The seven churches is found, the first thing I want you to note there is that the seven churches is found within the temple. Is that okay? This is supposed to be the, the candlestick, as you can see. Now, if you count it from the very straight one, you have seven. Okay, so the scripture is saying—I mean, the word of Jesus is saying—the seven uh, candlesticks which you saw in my right hand are the seven churches. And one of the major reasons, because the Bible made us understand that the church is supposed to be the light of the world. And I explained to you two months ago. Go back to the next picture. I explained two months ago that the seven churches, you see, now if you look at this, this is supposed to be the tabernacle in the wilderness. Okay. Now, I want you to understand something again. The tabernacle equals the temple. Is that okay? Right. Now, if you look at this picture, the first one is a brazen altar. Where the high priest will wash When he's going to offer the sacrifices I mean the brazen water is where they slaughter the animal Okay After slaughtering the animal Then they go to the lava To wash Wash himself before they enter Now as they enter The first thing they're going to come across Is the altar of incense Which has to do with prayers Is that Okay Prayers In entering the tabernacle Now If you watch this We're going to read it later You find that the altar court Is not actually recognized As part of the temple As you read in Hebrews chapter 9 You find that The only description given Are the things that are In between Let me go up and Make you see it Now, if you watch this, see, the description you are going to see, the element you are going to see, is that which is this and this. They don't describe this. Going to Hebrews chapter 9. These two objects are not described. description starts from the altar of incense, the lampstand, this lampstand is what we now refer to are now the seven churches. Amen? Are you picking what I'm saying here? So you have the lampstand here, then you have the table of showbread here, and that takes care of the first place. So, this place was supposed to be blocked by another curtain. Then the only article you find in the most holy place is the ark. Are you getting that? So, the most holy place you find the ark. The holy of holies, you find the table of showbread. You find the seven candlesticks or the lampstand. And then you find the altar of incense. And then this door is shut as it were. Are you getting this? Now, only the high priest have access through this to the most holy place to offer up the sacrifices after it have been slaughtered here, the animal is slaughtered here, take the blood, and then he wash himself, which is a brazen uh, lover, and then they move in. So, it's another way of saying, if you have to meet with God, you go through this process, but I'm not teaching on the tabernacle. I'm going to find time to teach on the tabernacle. But in the true sense of it, as it were in the new order, you don't enter the tabernacle from this process. You enter the tabernacle from inside out. Because your spirit represents the most holy place. And to be born again does not start from your body. Which is the outer court. The outer court, the sun and the moon can touch it. That is why your physical body can be touched. The most holy place represents your soul. I mean, the holy place represents your soul. Then the most holy place, which is just with the ark alone, is your spirit. Are you there? Okay. Now, the scripture says he had a voice behind him. Is that okay? So where was he? He was not in the holy place. He was in the, I mean, the most holy place was where? In the holy place. Watch that. Okay. Is it a little bit what we're looking at? All right. So from there we find that positionally when John was speaking, the church was situated in the holy place, not most holy place. Is that correct? So the church that was addressing was in the holy place and not in the most holy place. Get the point right. But essentially, what is expected is that we leave the holy place to the most holy place. Are you there? Okay. Um, I tried to explain last week. Do you have the picture of the ark? Did you have it there? Now, the whole lot is not out there. But if you look at the ark of the covenant, which is the only object in the most holy place, that is where you are going to find the cherubim. Of glory, overshadowing the ark in the most holy place, like I said, that is the only object, only article in that compartment, only the ark, and that represents your spirit. Okay, then the holy place represents your soul. That is where we talk about you. Look at 4 Thessalonians 5 and verse 23, it talks about the Lord preserving your spirit Your soul, your body, blameless. That represents the temple. Now, if we must continue what we're saying here, we're saying that when you talk about the temple, you're not talking about the whole of this fence. Though, basically, the whole fence protects the temple. Is that all right? But the temple is just that two compartments where you have. Now, if you check it properly, you're going to find that. A kind of curtain or cloth covered the whole of that building. But it didn't cover the outer court. The indication is your spirit, your soul is covered. But your body is not covered. Is that okay? Right. And that is one of the reasons why I've already been explaining and spoken this to you sometime. Maybe now that we have the picture, we're going to be teaching on some of these things more properly in church. The Bible talks about the sun that will smile thee by day and the moon by night. Remember that? David was speaking. Good. That tells you if you are where you have the, the the brazen lover and then the 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 wash the, the wash or the there's the, the, the basin now. Is that okay? Alright. If your ministry or your worship is on that level, then the sun can smile thee, and the moon can smile thee. The arrow that fly in the day and fly in the night can taunt you when you are just within this outer court. Because it's not covered by the glory or by the by the you see, the the only area covered is just those two compartments: the holy and the most holy. So if your worship, if your fellowship, if your understanding about God is just within this outer court, expect what is happening to the people of the world to happen to you. Because it's not covered. That speaks of your body, which also need to be redeemed. Are you following this picture now? Okay, so let's move on. So right there, give us a picture again of the, you can still see that though it's a little bit covered, but you can see the seven lampstands, okay? That's the thing, just to the left-hand side. So if you stand looking from the other side, assuming you're looking to the east, then lampstand is also where? By the right-hand side. Is that Okay. now, so he said he talks about uh, the lampstand that was by his right hand side. Is that all right? Okay. And you see, so you can see the position where the lampstand were. And that will give you the position also that uh, God or Christ was looking from. Okay. And that also tells you where John was also standing. It means John was standing looking at this as well, but behind him, he saw. Is that okay? You you get it? Okay, that's the ark. Okay, this is the only object in the most holy place. So you see the two now, uh, the two cherubims. So if you are talking about uh, the shadow of the most high, which I've always been explaining, this is where you find the shadow. God is light, the Bible says. In him is no darkness at all. So, there is no shadow in terms of dark shadow you find in God. So, when the Bible talks about they that dwell in the secret place of the Most High shall under the shadow of the Almighty, it is between this place. This is where God reveals Himself, this is where His mercy comes from. Are you getting that? Now, the whole of this ark is made up supposed to be made up of wood, go for wood, but it's plated with gold. Which speaks of you putting on the divine nature of God upon this earthly tabernacle. Because it's made of wood. Go for wood. The only complete goal you find is the lead of this ark. Then on top of it, you find these two cherubim. The expression is, if you look at the book of Ezekiel, you read very well. Talk about when the cherubim moved, the glory of the Lord moved. Because it's these two cherubim that represent the carrier of the glory of God. So they are the protector the preserver if you will, of the glory of God. So as they cover themselves there touching the two wings together they are protecting us with the glory of God. Are you getting that? And it is from this way that God speaks. So now, it means ordinarily God speaks from the place. Now we're going to find out as we read on. So that is just what I wanted to see. If also, basically, the seventh uh, lampstand, which is speaking about the 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 church, is fine to the right hand side. If you are coming from the inner court, does that make sense? The lampstand is to the right hand side. Okay, so understand that. Okay, now let's get down to the book of Exodus. The book of Exodus, let's look at verse 20, chapter 25. Uh, look at verse 8. Exodus 25, verse 8. And let them make me, now God is speaking to Moses. Let them make me a sanctuary that I may dwell among them. Now I want you to know that, if you will underline it, let him make me a sanctuary that I may dwell among them, according to all that I show thee after the pattern of the tabernacle and the pattern of all the instruments thereof. Even so shall ye make it. The temple was therefore the centrality of the Jewish worship. I want you to understand this. It said, make me the temple that I may dwell among them." Now begin to catch this. The temple brings in God. When the temple is erected, God comes down. Do you understand that? Let them make me a temple that I may dwell among them. So what causes this? God to come to his people is when the temple is in place. Did you notice that? Because the emphasis is, let them make me a temple that I may dwell among them. Make a sanctuary that I may come down and dwell among them. So once the temple is in place, God will come down. Now, begin to catch this. Like I said, there's a need for us to understand that the temple was the centrality of the worship of the Jewish people. Okay. See from this perspective. Let's get down to the book of Numbers. Get us a picture of the temple again. Let's get down to the book of Numbers. Numbers 11 Let me read from 16 And the Lord said unto Moses Gather unto me seventy men of the elders of Israel Whom thou knowest to be the elders of the people And officers over them and bring them unto the tabernacle of the congregation, that they may stand there with thee. And I will do what? I will come down and talk with thee there. And I will take off the spirit which is upon thee, and I will put it upon them, and they shall bear the burden of the people with thee, that thou bear it not thyself alone. Amen? Now, Look at this. Other subsequent teachings make you see more properly. As you see the temple here, all the twelve tribes of Israel were supposed to camp around the tabernacle. Amen? They were supposed to pitch round the tabernacle. And each of the tribe has its own flag. The twelve tribes were Fall this way, fall this way, fall this way, fall this way. Giving you the 12. I mean, 3-3, three, three, I guess maybe. Is that okay? Now, and they have all their flags to indicate the tribe that they belong. But now, they worship, as long as this thing is there, they have a the common source of reaching unto God. Do you, do you understand this? A common source of reaching unto God. Now, don't get this wrong. They were from 12 tribes, but one temple. That's what I'm trying to bring out now. Did you get that? There were 12 tribes, but one temple. What united them was the temple. And within the temple is found in the New Testament, as we're seeing now, the church. Meaning this, we may have our various churches, but there's only one temple of God. Just like there are several tribes, 12 tribes in Israel, even so, there are various denominations, but the part is there is one temple. And until that temple is erected, God doesn't come down. The way ought to come down. Meaning as long as this thing is not in place, we will always be separated and we will not have the full glory revealed as it should be. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. So like I said, Israel was made up of 12 tribes and that formed the church in the wilderness. I don't know if you remember that. The Bible talks about the church that was in the wilderness. The church in the wilderness was a community of 12 tribes but with one temple. That's what I'm trying to make you see. They had one temple but 12 tribes. Now What I really wanted to pick is when God said, build me a temple that I may come down and dwell among the people. Now, (laughs) it makes me feel part of what we are experiencing is the move of God in terms of the Holy Spirit moving to minister to people, to bring something to be but God tabernacle with the people is not in place because there is no centrality of his temple being erected in the nation I don't know if you are catching this remember what he said the seven candlesticks no, don't, don't get that wrong he was addressing the letter to the seven churches in Asia it was not a letter to just one church it was one letter but to seven churches meaning once he has a mind for the entire region he was communicating to the various churches and pointing out their various witnesses hallelujah So the word is for the seven churches in Asia So the, the point now is If God is Addressing our region Who is he going to address Now this is Where we see a lot of weakness Within the body And you can Understand that even today The southern Body of the Christianity in Nigeria is not As strong as the northern Body Of the Christianity in Nigeria. Why? Because the oppression they are facing, we are not facing it this way. Now, anytime there is persecution, there is unity. So what is making them to be united is the persecution of the Muslim world. It's bringing them all together as compared to you who have nothing to oppress you. In that sense, a temple is being erected in the north because to them it's not the issue of I'm a Catholic or I'm an Anglican or I'm a Pentecostal. They have one common identity. We are Christians in the midst of those who don't like us. Now because of that one mind, they call on one God. And they want they want God to show up. Therefore, a temple is being erected in that region, as compared to those of us here that like cannot erect a temple. Now, God's hand can be revealed more gloriously and abiding in the midst of the people when the temple is erected, which is the city church. Are you following this now? So, the city church is actually. The temple of God. All other denominations are supposed to be found within the city church. Hallelujah. Are we following it? So, just like we have the body, I mean, the the church in the wilderness, even so today, we have the body of Christ. But the body of Christ, which is supposed to be the expression of God just like the wilderness church or the expression of God is made up of various denominations and belief system but without a temple in that sense are we following this because a temple now let me bring it this way one of the things that will have represented a temple for us for instance in this nation was supposed to be Khan. Did you get this? It's supposed to be Khan. Christian Association of Nigeria. But unfortunately too, the approach, the manner, and maybe the motive for it is not to erect a temple for God, but just to associate. But it ought to be a medium to seek God For his abiding presence in the nation. Are you getting this? All right. So we find that a lampstand is found within the temple. That's what I'm trying to emphasize. The lampstand is not the temple. The lampstand we saw is found within what? The temple itself. So if you're a lampstand, that doesn't make you a temple. Is that okay? Alright. The temple is the overall expression of God within a community. But the lifetime that it various denominations that are found within the overall expression in that community. Praise the living God. Let's get down to Hebrews chapter 9. Hebrews chapter 9. Check the Hebrews nine. I'm going to read from verse one. Still looking at that. Hebrews nine. Reading from verse one. Are we there? Then verily the first covenant has also ordinances of divine service, and a worldly sanctuary. For there was a tabernacle made. The first wherein was a candlesticks. Now I want you to begin to see where the description starts from. Hallelujah. all this picture? Give me the other picture. It says For there was a tabernacle made the first wherein was a candlestick and the table and the showbread, which is called the sanctuary. So, the first, can you see that? You're talking about the candlesticks, the showbread, and then the altar of incense. It's not describing the outer courts. Are you getting that? Now, look at it. For there was a tabernacle made the first where it was what? The candlesticks. Did you get that? And the table and the showbread, which is called what? The sanctuary. Then look at verse 2. After that, the second veil, the tabernacle, which is called what? The holiest. So God does not give recognition to the outer courts. So if you want to talk about the first tabernacle or sanctuary, you're just dealing with the altar of incense. The table of showbread and what? The candlesticks. That's the first tabernacle. God is not having, you have nothing to do with this one. It's not talking about this. All these things about courtyard and altar ministry, it's not talking about that. Hallelujah. Now, he said, once you finish that, then they fail. After they fail, what the next thing you find? Is the ark. Look at that. Verse 4. He said after that the second veil The tabernacle which is called the holiest of all Which had the golden censer And the ark of the covenant Overlaid round about with gold Wherein was the golden pot that had Manor and Aaron's rod that bought it And the tables of the covenant All of these things described Here inside the ark So there are two Sanctuaries you can identify Within the temple Okay verse 5 and overlaid the cherubims of glory, overshadowing the mercy seat, of which we cannot now speak particularly. Now this is one funny thing. Paul said this over 2,000 years ago, that this thing we are talking about now cannot be spoken then. But the question is, are we still to say even now it cannot be spoken about? Then the question is, how much of this thing is being described to the church today? Because what brings the church to the fullness of the glory is the understanding of what the tabernacle is all about. Because God said, I will come and dwell among them. Meaning, when the tabernacle is fully understood and expressed, there will be a permanent residence, if you will, of God. Hallelujah. Okay. So. The key to bringing down the presence of God over a region. Is the raising up of the city church. Hallelujah. Amen. That is the raising up of the city church. The grace. In bringing down the abiding presence of God. In the life and in a region is the raising up of the city church. Now it is most difficult to raise the city church. That's what we've already started seeing. And I'm going to raise some scriptures that prove what I've just said. If there is anything that I'm difficult to do, is to raise a city church. It's easy to raise the local assembly. It's easy to raise your personal denomination. But when you talk about raising a city church, it's a hard task. Why? Because of belief systems, because of personal ambition, and all in all. It's a difficult task. And I'm going to make you see that from the book of Zacharias. But one thing is important, if a city church is raised, there is a grace that is distributed and dispensed amongst people. If a city church is erected, there is a specific grace that moves amongst people. And those who have come under the umbrella of the city church receives a grace that they themselves on their own cannot bring to be. Let's get down to the book of Zacharias. I also make us understand that when a city church is not erected, the various churches, which you call denomination, also suffers unknown to them. Now, we remember the Bible made us understand, it talks about the blessing, where you minister to the high priest, and the blessing will abide in the house. Amen. Now there's a big difference between a blessing abiding and a blessing coming and going. I'm sure we know that. Hallelujah. And so you compare the two aspects of what we're talking about where God resides in a region as it were. Because he said when you erect the city church or the tabernacle, I will dwell among them. Now, when the city church is actually erected, the speakings of God become more frequent. Now, in this context, I'm talking about God revealing his mind to his people, become more frequent. There is an understanding about God's mind for a nation when the city church is put in place. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. You need to seal your house, eh? Okay. Praise the Lord. Did you follow what I just said? When he said, I will come and dwell among them, one of the things that he intends to say is, I will be speaking to them. Remember what he said in the book of Numbers. So, there is a ministry that is limited to the altar court. does it go into the most holy place. They are still Levites. But God said, they can't go beyond... This place. The, the you see, it was expected that from this gate the high priest moved into the most holy place. Are you getting that? But what he's saying is because of the nature of this, God said they can't go beyond this outer court. So there is a ministry that is an outer court ministry, and there is a ministry that is centered of the most holy place. Now If you read that scripture, it said that shall minister to the people, but they shall not minister unto me. The problem we have is we have more attention for the people and less of God. But the way it's supposed to be, you first minister to God, then you minister to the people. So we have a people centered ministry. But God has also said because they have a people-centered ministry, fine, do the job, do whatever you are doing, but you can't come near unto me. Alright. Praise the Lord. Okay, so we go back to what we're trying to define so that we can understand it more properly now. Uh, hallelujah. So, we've already been able to define what. The city church is. Remember that? Good. City church is like the temple. That is erected at the center. If we may use the word. Of the encampment of the children of Israel. That is the temple. That is the city church. Amen. Yeah. And uh, the scripture made us very clearly. On this, I mean, to understand that. God said in Exodus 25. Erect me in the city church. And I will come down and dwell. Among the people. Alright. So like we said. The, the, the centrality of the worship of Israel has to do with the temple. Is that okay? They have their individual tribe, individual denomination, but like the scripture says, get me the 70 years that I represent the people and let them come to me to the tabernacle that I may speak to them. So just what I was trying to say, one of the things that will bring in the speakings of God to us in our nation and in our region is when they see the church is erected. It's not as if it doesn't talk to individuals. But he say we must understand this. That there is a word for the nation, there is a word for the region that is different from the personal word that God gives to you. Amen. The other day, somebody asked me a question in Malaysia, and I was talking about these prayer meetings, and I said, I'm not against prayer meetings, calling for prayer meetings. Twice they've invited me for one particular one in our country. I think the one that is by Gowan or something. But you see, the one I attended once, it was on this ground. Anytime we come together, some 10 years ago, it is making you to see the principalities and powers over the nation. But they don't make you see the angelic host God have erected or set in place over the nations. Deuteronomy tells us precisely, every nation has an angel that watches over the nation. Now, if you truly want to do prayer, which you call a prayer for a nation, you should know the mind of the angel that God has set in the nation. Not looking for principalities and powers. How is it so? Because God said he set up one king, he removed king, put up another one. How did he remove Ahab? The Bible said a cult was set up in heaven. And an angel came and said it would be a lying spirit in the mouth of his prophets. In so doing, he was deceived, he went to war and he was killed. That's how Ahab was removed. But the decision was heavenly. Now if you don't get connected to the angel that comes from the hand of God or the, from the side of God to explain to you what he wants to do, your prayers are going to be in vain. you have just be hitting whatever thing you want. Hallelujah. So, now, the city church is where basically God expressly speaks about, or speaks to us about nations. Another example I can give to you. Maybe we we'll have time. I'm trying to write a book on that for almost about 10 years. I've not been able to finish it. I will write and stop, write and stop, write and stop. Now, if you watch what happened to Nebuchadnezzar, the Bible says it should be removed and this is the decree of the watchers. Did it say so? It's a decree of the watchers, not just God. Decree of the watchers. Now, who are the watchers? These are the angelic hosts that God has set in place over nations. Now, the people that will bring that decree to pass are the watchmen. This is now the prayer meetings we are talking about. The decree of the watchers who know the mind of God in the heavens says Nebuchadnezzar should go. Those who implement the decree, remember what Job said, you shall decree a decree and it shall come to pass. Whose decree are you decreeing? It doesn't have to be your own decree. It has to be God's decree. Because you pray according to his will, he heareth us. So until we find out the decree of the watchers, we watchmen can make effective decrees. That is why our prayers are not effective. Because the reason is we don't even know what is the mind of God for our country, for our region. But when the place, when the city church is in place, God will move. Hallelujah. Now we can see his mind. We can know his mind. We can understand what He has for our country. What is informing prayer point today now is Boko Haram. That is not what it's supposed to be. The issue is, even if you think that is it, why did God allow it? Who has given us the answer? No answer yet. Amos said, the liar will not roar except God. Why is it happening? Who has it been able to tell us? We are looking at it from political angle. But except God permits it, it won't happen. Who has been able to see from the mind of God why this thing is going on? That's the problem. Now, if you come for a prayer meeting, who are we going to be praying against? Again, politicians? Again, northern leaders? Is that the mind of God? These are the issues. The only thing that can bring solution, like I'm saying, is when God begins to see the city church erected, are you getting my point now? He will begin to speak over the region and make his mind known as to what he wants for his people. Okay. Let's begin to go to the book of Zacharias now. Zachariah chapter 4. Zachariah chapter 4 I'm reading from this one And the angel that talked with me came again and woke me up As a man that is woken out of his sleep Now God need to do this for us sometimes And said unto me What seest thou And I said I have looked and behold, a candlestick all of gold. Hallelujah. With a bow upon the top of it, and the seven lamps thereon, and seven pipes to the seven lamps which are upon the top thereof. Now, you remember this? Seven golden candlesticks. This is what you find in the tabernacle. But what Zechariah is seeing now. It's a little bit different. Is that okay? Ordinarily, you put oil on this lamp for them to burn. But here is a set of candlesticks with a bowl and seven pipes supplying the oil, meaning a continuous supply. And because there's a continuous supply, there is a the continuous light. You look at the difference. Now, you watch this in relation to Eli. The Bible said the lamp was going out. It has to do with this. Because the high priest was supposed to put oil in all of this lamp for the lamp to burn in the temple. But the lamp was going out, meaning the supply of oil was not there. Now, you begin to compare. What Zachariah is saying is there is a bowl that is supplying oil continuously. Now to seven meaning there'll be a continuous light. It is not something to be man by man. Now you begin to see as you progress where it says it's not by power, it's not by my but by my spirit. A continuous supply of grace. Now you're going to understand why Zechariah saw this. And why God showed Zechariah this. Let's move on. The word bow actually in that scripture is "gulah" In the Hebrew. Which means a fountain. Hallelujah. He speaks of a fountain. So number 3. Verse number 3. And two olive trees by it. One upon the right side of the bowl, and the other upon the left side of the bowl. I will explain. So I answered and said unto the angel that talked with me, saying, What are these, my Lord? Then the angel that talked with me answered and said unto me, Knowest thou not what this be? And I said, No, my Lord. Then he answered and said on, speak unto me saying this is the word of the Lord unto Zerubbabel saying not by might are you getting that? Not by power but what? Born by my spirit. seer the Lord of hosts. Mm? He said now what is there that I'm seeing? He saw two olive trees by the side of the candlesticks. He saw seven pipes from a bowl. Supplying continuous life. I can't understand these pictures. He began to interpret. Now basically the bowl, which is the gulag. Which is the fountain. Is supposed to be Christ himself. Are you getting this now? So basically what he's saying is. Through me. The church get and supply. And a continuous one. Hallelujah. And now you're going to understand. What are the two old Trees that are standing by the bowl. Okay, let's move on. What art thou, O great mountain? before Zerubbabel. Thou shalt become a plain, and it shall bring forth the hairstone thereof, with shouts crying, Grace, grace unto it. I will explain this. Let me just read all through. Moreover, the word of the Lord came unto me, saying, the hands of Zerubbabel have laid the foundation of this house. His hand also shall finish it. Can I hear an amen to that? And thou shalt know that the Lord of hosts has sent me unto you. For who hath despised the day of small things? For they shall rejoice and shall see the plummet in the hand of Zerubbabel. With those seven, they are the eyes of the Lord who run to and fro upon the earth. Uh, verse Verse 11. Then answered I and said unto him, What are these two olive trees upon the right side of the candlestick and upon the left side thereof? Now how many of you understand what a candlestick stands for? The church. Don't forget. Can I get the tabernacle picture again please? Don't forget. The candlestick is found within the temple. The candlestick does not exist on its own. Got the picture right. This is a candlestick. See, found within the first sanctuary like what I did in Hebrews one. I mean Hebrews 9. The candlestick is found within and in, in Revelation 1 when when John asked and, and he turned and he saw who was speaking, he found that his seven candlestick was in his right hand and he said that his seven churches in Asia. So the church is found within the temple. So the church is not a temple of his own. That's what I'm trying to explain. The church is found within the temple. Now until the temple is erected, according to ex- Exodus 25, there is no permanent residence for God. Because he said, when you erect the sanctuary, I will come and dwell among the people. Is it making sense? Okay. Now, within these candlesticks, on the right and on the left, we have two olive trees. So, he's asking the question, what does those olive trees represent? Let's move on. Verse 12. And I answered again and said unto him, What be these two olive branches which brought the two golden pipes emptied the golden oil out of themselves? Hallelujah. I like this. The two olive branches have become supplies of oil unto themselves. Now watch this. Verse 13. And he answered me and said, Knowest thou not what this be? And I said, No, my Lord. Then said he, These are the two anointed ones that stand by the Lord of the old arts. Now, if you, if, you, if you look at Isaiah 5 verse 1, the anointed ones actually speak of the sons of the oil. Isaiah 5 verse 1. If you look at the margin, it tells you he has to be the sons of the oil. It's the same word given to them. So let's find out, who are these two olive trees? These two olive trees you find there is Joshua the high priest and Zerubbabel the governor. Hallelujah. These are the anointed ones appointed by the Lord and stand by him and the one to minister in the ecclesiastical and the civil society of the state. So the two olive trees basically represent the Merchizedek order. The priests and the kings. So when the church in the city is properly put in place there is a grace for the upgrading let me use the word of the priesthood of Merchizedek in the sense that We can see more of even those you call those who are not in the ministry. Let me put it that way. In terms of those who are in the marketplace, doing better. And those in the ministry doing better. Why? Because there's a supply of oil from the bowl, even down to them. Remember what he said? Not by power, not by mind, but by what? By my spirit. As long as you are there to build the church in the city, there's a supply that comes to you, not by your strength. We mean to say, if the city church is in place, most of our labors as ministers will reduce. It will reduce. There is a corporate grace Listen Let me give you a simple illustration of this Do you know those who followed Moses They ate this showbread This showbread This showbread you see was meant for the high priest David I mean David, those who followed David I am saying now they ate this showbread, but that showbread was meant only for the high priest. David was not a high priest was not qualified to eat the showbread. But when he was running away, he met a high priest. He was giving the showbread. He ate of it and gave to those who were with him. Now one thing is because David was representing the a priesthood. Because you see, when he brought the ark from where it was, from Abenadon's house, there was no temple where the ark could be. So he got the ark behind his house. He could go and minister before the ark. He doesn't have the right ordinarily in Israel because he was a king. But God did not rebuke him. So when we talk about erecting the tabernacle of David according to Acts chapter 15, I haven't said, I told them in South Africa last year, he had nothing to do with music. The tabernacle of David is a people coming to the priesthood of Melchizedek. Hallelujah. So here we find Zerubbabel and Joshua. The high priest and Zerubbabel the governor. Now they are there to function to do one thing. To erect the tabernacle that was falling down. As commanded by King Cyrus. I'm going to give you the picture. Hallelujah. Let's talk a little bit. So, like we said before, the candlesticks represent the churches, and uh, remember, the Bible said it's made of all pure gold. Speaking of the nature of Christ, the divine nature of God. Hallelujah. Amen. All right. So there's a continuous supply. Let me just waste your time on this. So pure gold. Uh, let me go down. <sighs> now. If you watch what happened, he said he have seven lambs, and then you have seven supplies of it from one stem. Okay? So that tells us of the fullness of Christ and the grace that will be continuously flowing. Now, when there is a seven supply to a source, it becomes an issue of intensity. The brightness of the light gets brighter than it was. So it's like talking about. Uh, the, the, the path of the joy, like a shiny light that shining brighter and brighter unto a perfect day. Amen. Alright. So that is just all about that. Uh, let me go down very quickly now so that we can look at something much more, more important. Okay, now the next question I would like to ask: what then do you think is the mountain that was starting before the Because remember what he said, not my mind, not my body, but by my spirit. Now I'm going to give you the whole picture much later. Uh, maybe i just go to that so that you can see it. But the point is this. Zerubbabel actually came back from exile from Babylon with about 42,360 Jews when he returned back. Now, when they got back to Jerusalem, remember Isaiah 45 was where the decree was given to King Cyrus, the patient king. Is that okay? All right. So, Zerubbabel was the one that came back to lay the foundation of the temple. Even after God has called um, King Cyrus, his anointed one, his shepherd. Zerubbabel was the one that was commissioned, as it were, to go. Zerubbabel, that was Zerubbabel. I was only talk about son of Babel. Or Babylon, because it's like he was born there. Because I remember they were there for 70 years. So he was a young man, as it were. Grew up there and things like that. So part of his name is a kind of Babylonian name. Now, he was to come back home and he came with these people. Now, after two years of their arrival, as a civil leader of the community, he laid the foundation of the temple. After two years of their coming back from Babylon. Is that okay? Now, one thing is important. In Babylon, God told them, eat, plant vineyard, marry, and give in marriages. Remember that? And that's completely different from Egypt. In Egypt, they were oppressed. In Babylon, they were enjoying. When they came back, the mentality of an oppressed people was not in them. So now, the commission will be given to build the temple. Fine. The lady foundation, after two years, And record houses that, the war continued for about 15 years. Until then, the Samaritans opted to join them to build the temple. But he said, "No, we can accept you, because you know who the Samaritans were. Samaritans belonged to Rehobam, Northern Kingdom, Southern Kingdom. Remember that, and that is why Jesus said he was sent to the lost house of uh, Israel." Okay, now. They opted to say, okay, we want to join you. They said, no, you can join us to build the temple. So what did they do? They now petitioned them that what they are doing is illegal. And they secured a petition to stop the work. And the work was tough for another 16 years. No work was going on. But in the midst of these 16 years, these guys were building their own houses. They were not bothered. They were doing their own construction. That's where you're going to find the book of Haggai. I will take you there. Because the temple was not on, they were building their own houses. While the central temple is not in place, we are concerned with our churches. That's a problem. And you're going to see what God spoke because of this attitude. So, let's move on. There you see. So when. When that word came as to this mountain standing before Zerubbabel, it was a mountain of the petition and the activities of the Samaritans. And those were mocking them and saying, these feeble Jews, what can they do? Remember the story? What can these ones do? What house can they build? It is part of what the language says. Despise not the days of little beginning, and it says, "Shall put on the capstone." The capstone means the finishing. If you lay the foundation, you will finish it. Amen. That's the word capstone. There, I don't remember when I was young, when we told the capstone talks about Jesus Christ. Okay, fine. There's nothing wrong with that, but actually, prophetically and contextually. What he was saying is, if you lay the foundation, you will finish it. You put a capstone. There's a foundation stone, there is a capstone. Is that okay? So the temple you've begun to build, you're also going to do what? Finish it. And it's not by your mind, it's not by your power, it's going to be by my spirit. So basically, if God really gives you a work to do, I promise you today, prophetically, you will finish. That is the key thing. So let's see the consequences Of not building the temple of the Lord I'll just give you a background to this you can also take time to read the book of Ezra Ezra chapter 4 you see what I'm talking about how he started and all of that I mean after laying the foundation for two years so now this time the people were busy building their own houses and not just mere houses they were building very costly houses and no one bothered about anything to do with the temple until the word came again unto Zerubbabel through the mouth of the prophet Haggai and Zechariah. And the work resumed in the second year of King Cyrus. Let's get down to the book of Haggai, chapter 1. Hagar chapter 1. Hey. Well, too much of the work. Man. Hagar chapter 1. Let's run this one. Hallelujah. The word of the Lord by Haggai, the prophet, unto who? Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and to Joshua, the son of Josedek, the high priest, saying, can you get that now? These are the two olive trees. that we find in the book of Zechariah chapter 4. Okay. Thus speaking, I mean, thus speaketh the Lord of hosts, saying, these people say, i want you to mark that in your bible the time is not come the time the Lord's house should be built (laughs) now did you see anything that these people say when we are after our own we are these people but when we are after god's own My people who are called by my name. Can you see any difference there? He said, if my people who are called by my name. should humble themselves and pray and fast. I will hear. But when the central temple is not the place. The people of God becomes what? These people. These people say. Not my people say. I want you to know that. You can see how God feels about what we're talking about. You can see the seriousness of what I'm talking about. How God feels when the centrality of the temple is not in place. Don't forget, God addressed the letter to seven churches in Asia. That is to a region, not to just one man. Hallelujah. And that's why I keep on emphasizing. I need one man or one church or one denomination that can come to tell me why we are where we are. I will fall in line. I will do anything you want me to do. I will. Because God's voice must come to his people. God, you see, even when, Jeremiah 25, even when Israel was to be taken to Babylon, God told them, And he strictly told that. if you won't even obey Nebuchadnezzar, who is my servant? I'll put my legs on your neck. He called Nebuchadnezzar his servant. Why? Because there was pollution, there was corruption in Israel. And they were qualified to go to Babylon. Are you getting this? I want one man that can tell me why we are where we are. That is the key thing. Just organizing prayer meeting. What about if Israel had to go on and have to have done there and start praying against the Bukhid Who would they be praying against? That's the point. Don't be praying against God. I'm not in support, I'm not in a game of what is going on, but can we find the reason why we're where we are? Because remember. When David, out of pomposity and pride, numbered the children of Israel to prove his mind, how many armies he had, what were the consequences? Three judgments were given to him to choose. And how many people died in Israel? It was people that died because of leadership. I mean, you should understand. People died because of the leadership of David for numbering Israel. Somebody need to tell me why we are where we are. Then we can pray right and repent accurately too. Until that is done, we are just, just wasting time. Why? One of the major reasons because we do not have the temple, the city church in place. Where God can expressly speak to us. Hallelujah. Let's move on just a little bit. So, don't, don't miss that point. That is verse number 2 of Hagar chapter 1. Thus speaketh the Lord of all, saying, These people say. <laughs> the time is not come. The time that the lost house should be built. These people say. Can you imagine it? Hallelujah. Okay, verse 3. There came the word of the Lord by Hagar the prophet saying, Is it time for you, O ye, to dwell in your sealed houses, and this house lie waste? Can you imagine that? That's what I told you before. When the Samaritans succeeded in beginning, let me use my kind of cut injection now, <laughs> to stop the project." It was a joy for the people not to continue with the project, to continue with their own. And so they just keep on building houses, beautiful houses. They see the kind of thing they did in Babylon. Now they are back home. They want to, I mean, good and beautiful houses. They start building for themselves. But the house of God was lying in ruins. Like I said, until the second year of Darius, representing our churches and our denominations. So what does that mean to us? When you say is it time to build your sealed houses and this house line weights another way of saying must we give continuous attention to our denomination without the city church being in place. Amen. Are you are you getting this? She will our focus be on our personal ambition denominations without the city church being erected. Because what Zerubbabel and Zechariah was to do was to erect the city church. As long as the temple is not in place to Israel, God is not among them. Because he said, Build a temple, Exodus 25. And I'll come and dwell among you. There's a big difference between God ministering to us by his spirit and God abiding with us continually. The big difference. Samson could receive the spirit and move and do mighty works. That doesn't say, that doesn't mean God was resident in Samson. The prophet, the spirit will come, they would speak. That doesn't mean God was resident in the, in the prophets. Hallelujah. So, this question is to us. Is it time for you, O oh, ye, to dwell in your sealed houses and this house lies in wait? Which house is it referring to? The church in the city, the temple of God. Verse number five. Now, therefore, thus hear the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. You have so much. I'm, 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 I'm beginning to say the consequences. Of neglecting the city church, you have so much and bringing little. You eat, but you have not enough. You drink, but you are not filled with drink. You clothe here but there is no warm. And either net wages, net wages to put it what, in a bag with holes. Thus, here the Lord of hosts consider your ways. This is a problem. We can be so consigned. You see, can we see why there is this rivalry, this confusion? Like I said in the beginning, one of the things that will have been of an umbrella setting to depict what we are talking about was supposed to be can. But even in can, is completely politicized to the point that it's like saying when things fall apart, the center cannot hold. It's all about politics. But that was supposed to be the city church. When you come to the place of the city church, denominations, it's not supposed to count. Because like I said in the beginning, there were 12 tribes in Israel, but there was one temple in Israel. Did you get that? There were 12 tribes, but one temple. There were no two temples, one. And that temple was the rallying point of all the 12 tribes. And God said, I'm going to dwell among you in that temple. Not in their various tribes in that sense. But it was empowering the people to do mighty things. Within the tribes. But talking of resting, residing with the people. And speaking forth the mind of God to his people. It was directly within the temple. Hallelujah. Verse number 8. Go up to the mountain and bring wood. And build a house. And I will take pleasure in it. And I will be glorified. seer the Lord. So the concept of the city child glorifies who? God. Glorifies God. They exalt his name. Just like I said in the beginning for moving to this section. You can't compare the strength of unity that is supposed to be with the Christian body in the north to that of the south. No way. Even now, the intensity of unity is small because of the issues there. So persecution have united them. But here, our dream is how we can make our church bigger than our next brother. That's our concern. If it is possible for you to even steal some from other people's church, you want to do that. That's our concern. Not a centrality of the body of Christ. Hallelujah. Verse number 9. You look for much... And lo, it came to little. And when you brought it home, I did blow upon it. Why, said the Lord of hosts, because of my house that is waste. And ye run every man into his own house. Huh? You run every man into his own house, into your own denominations. Therefore, the heaven over you is stale from dew. And the earth is stale from her fruit. And I called for a drought upon the land, and upon the mountains, and upon the corn, and upon the new wine, and upon the oil, and upon that which the ground bringeth forth, and upon men, and upon cattle, and upon all the labors of the hymns. Then Zerubbabel, the son of Shetiel, and Joshua, the son of Jezoda, the high priest, with all the remnant of the people, obeyed the voice of the Lord their God. And the words of Hagar, the prophets, As the Lord your God has sent him and the people did fear the Lord. This then is the response to the present call of the city church. So we can assess the goodness of God for our land and for our individual communities. When the word came, there was a response by Joshua and Zerubbabel. Let's go back and do what God is saying. And God said, Because the people took response. They took the delight. He God himself did what? Responded. Verse 13. Then spake Hagar, the lost messenger, in the Lost Messenger of the people saying, I am with you. Who is speaking? God. Sear the Lord. You see? When there is an appropriate response by the people towards the issue of the city church, there's also a corresponding response from who? From God. I am with you. If God be with us, like the question that Gideon will ask, if God be with us, why are these Midianites doing all these things to us? Why? If God be with us in this country, as Christians, why do we have the issues we have on ground, and yet there's no solution? Why? If God be with us, our individual success does not equate God being with us as a nation. does it equate. You see, the other day I read, last two months, I read of two mighty men of God nailed down pray about Babu quaram. But after they finished praying, the thing was intensified. It was intensified. So where, where be God? Look at what he said there. Because of the response of the people, God himself said, I am with you. And the Bible says, if God be with us, who can be against us? So the factor that will lead us to where God can be with us is what I'm discussing. The issue of the city church. Hallelujah. And verse 14 said, And the lost of the spirit of Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and the spirit of Joshua, the son of Jesuit, the high priest, and the spirit of all the remnants of the people. And they came and did work in the house of the Lord of hosts, their God. In the four and twentieth day of the sixth month, in the second year of Dairos, the king, the house finally was completed. And then it was dedicated. When the scriptures say, so if you read this, you go back to Zechariah chapter four. When we we'll say, "Grace, grace, grace, grace," was not a shout of uh, how do I put it? Proclaiming grace on people. No, what they were saying, we see grace manifested in completing this work. It was the joy of the finishing of the work. That was a great grace you find them. Because when a capstone comes upon the temple. Then the people shouted, what? Great grace. It has taken grace to do this. That's the meaning. It has required great grace to do this. We need to understand that all we need to do ministry is grace. And this grace will be supplied by the time we begin to identify with what God is saying. You see, we can't continue to label the way we, we, we are now, or we are doing in ministry, when we do know for sure that God really sent us, where then be the grace of God? But this is one of the major factors. And it's not just only going to be, remember, it's the spirit of Zerubbabel, it's the spirit of Joshua, and then the spirit of the remnant of the people, and they all came together. So we're not talking about a job of just for ministers. We're talking about looking at the situation where, The body of Christ, as it were, which is actually a temple, begin to stand the way it's supposed to stand in our region. So that God begin to give us express words concerning our communities, even concerning our churches. Express words. And grace to build, to do what God intends to be done will now be released. Amen, somebody? Praise the living God.